didn't see you there. Something big is going on here. From hunting ghosts to Bigfoot. Paranormal, UFOs, true crime, and more. We won't just be spouting articles. I was researching for your entertainment. Beginning of a new world. The best guac you'll ever fucking eat. True story. It's basically like one day you walk outside and you see that the ants are playing with matches. This, this is, is the Black Cat Report. See you on the other side. Cold as ice, Richard Ramirez was the man of the night, the one with Satan. He was riding high and also riding low, with stolen cars, jewels, and money aplenty. There was no one that could stop him, and he was on a mission from Satan. Living a dream that no one could make but him, it was time for him to stalk again. Yeah! Woo! Ramirez, part three! Is it part mm-hmm. three? Yeah, we are there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is this blood. the last one? No, we got one more. One more. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Black Cab Report and our third episode in our series on Richard Ramirez. I am Betsabe, your host, and this is Selena. Hello. Gil. Hello. And Joey. Hello, I'm here to stalk. <laughs> we are going to delve into the next set of murders, rapes, and assaults of Richard Ramirez. He was definitely getting into the group of murder, rape, and assault. He was the pepper to assault. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. I literally just spit my beer on myself. God damn it. God damn it. What? He was the pepper to assault. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> The puns come on fast and they come early. Let's do this. Mm -hmm. Armed with his 22, his knowledge of the LA area freeways, handcuffs, and stolen cars, Richard Ramirez was displaying exactly what he learned from his cousin Miguel. He was right in the middle of his war. Dun dun dun. Yeah, he was. Sweet. On July 2nd, 1985, Richard was again, as always, cruising the freeway. He exited off into Arcadia, thinking that it was far enough away from the other crimes that it wouldn't be watched. He parked and walked down an empty street. He came upon the home of Mary Louise Cannon. There were no lights on in the house, so he thought it was the perfect one. It was a beige ranch one-story house. He walked up to the right front window and as he had done so many times before, he pulled off the screen and opened the window and slipped right in. Somebody needs to make locks for screens. I'm just saying, at this point. Yep. Well, they do now. Yeah, they do now. <laughs> do they? Oh, mm-hmm. shit. Yes. I have not. Uh, uh, none of our screens have locks on them. Anyway, I, I think he cuts them open anyways. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, yeah, I mean, they cut them open. They need to make cut-proof screens, not just for serial killers, but also for cat owners. I think we would all very much yeah. appreciate it. See, everybody's shaking their heads. They're like, actually, that's a yeah. good idea. <laughs> yes. Nodding their heads. Patent pending. Yeah. He moved towards the back of the house, using his usual pin light to search. He crept into the bedroom where Mary was sleeping. He got angry, seeing there were no other young women in the house. He picked up a milk white base lamp and then smashed into her head. As she woke up screaming, he started beating her with his fist over, 
over and over again. He then walked into the kitchen, grabbed a butcher knife, then returning to the bedroom, he stabbed it right into the side of Mary's throat. Then he started stabbing her chest again and again. He then ransacked the house, washed up the blood, and walked out of the front door and got back onto the freeway. Mary Louise was found brutally murdered by a police officer the next day, which was called by the neighbors. Please. All right. On July 5th, 1985, Richard sporting a new look with slick back hair. There you oh, go. Yeah. <laughs> you know I'm a fan. Okay. It's all about the hair. And large round white frame glasses was again cruising the freeway and searching for another victim. He chose Sierra Madre. Woohoo! Been there. Um, <laughs> okay, he chose Sierra Madre, which was an upscale neighborhood where he could find his perfect victim. I was gonna say, I'm surprised he never went to those uh, little rich neighborhoods, like, you know all that area because that's where the money is mm -hmm. but yeah, i guess now he found it which is good for him i guess he's moving out oh, no. he's moving up <laughs> him yeah. and the jefferson yeah because <laughs> he was just going into this really poor neighborhoods and then getting mad it's like well what do you expect you're not going to like the the small town rich neighborhoods it's literally what i was saying in the last episode mm -hmm. that's literally what i was saying was like why are you going into poor neighborhood? Like all this time and talk and like anticipation, everything's being built up and like, he's using military tactics to slowly <laughs> scope out the area, find the behaviors and routines of the local residents. He's yeah. recognizing their income. Like he's doing all of this shit, right? At least that's the folklore behind it. But mm -hmm. then he's like, damn it. The most expensive thing you own is an air conditioner. Like, and then he's yeah. getting mad at them about that. And it's just like, Bitch, you're the one that stalked the neighborhood. Like, this is your fault. Why are you getting mad? Anyways, I'm not trying exactly. to rationalize serial killers here, but they're, but at the same time, I am because there is a level of like serial killers need to be rationalized to be understood. Yeah. They have habits, mm. they have routines, they have like a very intense, well thought out, like niche, right? That's where yeah. serial killers exist is in this weird fucking niche that they yep. create and mutate. And it's just like, all right, if the whole robbing thing is your fucking spiel, like, honestly, you suck at it, dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, he kind of sucks as a robber. I would like yeah. to I mean, have a counterpoint to that. He's a great car thief. I will. Give I would him like that. to have a, a counterpoint to that. I okay. think he actually is pretty good. And this is not saying you're completely wrong, but I think he's pretty good because he still has to fence these items. You know, yeah. think about it. He can't go into a super amazing neighborhood, steal so much stuff because once he fences them. That person's yeah. going to be like, oh, I know exactly where these came from. And yeah. as we find out later, you know, the fence obviously is a person that could rat him out. <laughs> um, oh. So he needs to have stuff that's very, like, common but still can get him money, like a radio. Everyone has radios yeah. in their house, you know? Maybe some cash that he can take, cash on hand, yeah. you know, maybe small jewelry stuff. So in his, in my mind thinking of it, he's probably... That's pretty, uh, you know, obviously he gets mad for them it's not having safe. stuff. It's, it's a safe thing for him to do. Again, as Selena said last episode, you know, Selena said last episode, he's not trying to push himself. He doesn't want to, like, you know, get arrested, you know, so. Yeah. Driving around, he was followed by a police car. 
as at this point they were looking for him. The police eventually stopped following him, and he moved into a new neighborhood close by. Richard walked up to an old ranch house. He walked to the back door, and it was locked. He then walked up to the front door, and it was unlocked. He walked into the house with his twenty-two. Whitney's bedroom was the closest to the door on the right. Whitney was the 16-year-old daughter of Steve and his wife, whose name was not mentioned. Richard crept past the door and back to Steve and his wife's room and noticed they were still asleep. Richard decided he wouldn't use a gun, as it would be too noisy. So he walked back to his car to grab a tire iron. He came back to the house, narrowly escaping the view of a passing police car. He walked back into the house and into Whitney's room. He put his hand over her mouth and then struck her with the tire iron. Then he struck her 10 more times in the head. Richard decided that he wanted to kill her with a knife, but couldn't find the right knife. He then found a telephone wire and started choking her with it. Suddenly, he saw sparks on the telephone wire and then decided to stop. Richard later said he saw a blue haze leaving her body and was very spooked by it. He thought the devil and his power was leaving him. He quickly left the house and sped back to the freeway and into downtown LA. Whitney survived the assault and would be instrumental in bringing Richard to justice. Yep. Damn. He... That- that's insane. Yeah, just just something random cuz she basically she she got she passed out, you know? Like the she she pretty much passed out from the pain and like th- what he said is he saw her uh he thought he saw her spirit leaving her body and was like, "Oh, something thought something weird was going on." So he just like, "Oh, I got to go." And then yeah. left wow. and she she woke up the next morning. <clears throat> Like, they had no idea that anyone came into the house. She woke up the next morning and came into her parents' bedroom and was like, oh, wow. man, I have a, a headache. Like, her head was what? killing her. Yeah, no joke. She said her head was killing her. And, like, her parents were like, oh, oh, shit. <laughs> they were like, like, someone broke in here. And so they had to was... go. Yeah. Well, she it's got not, hit it's... in the head a ton of times with a tiger iron. Mm-hmm. They said, like, half of her face was, like, almost like not melted but like beaten in obviously how i mean honestly how is she still alive after that like that's a lot of like hitting you know you said that she got hit like 10 times in the head with a tire like did she get hit so many did she get hit like so many times that she forgot she got beat the fuck up by a tire iron and some dude in the room in the middle of the night she did and i think eventually they they found out like because she i think she had to go through some kind of regression or something yeah. to Holy figure fuck. out who it was she, some um, betty and shit yeah, yeah, to, yeah, yeah to figure out because like she pretty much didn't know that somebody came in the, the house and obviously Damn. her parents were like when they saw her they were like somebody came into the house and tried to beat you <laughs> you know like they yeah, like i mean well, you're succeeded. Up. yeah yeah, yeah. They didn't try. They didn't try. They they actually just beat the shit out of her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I am but fascinated. She survived, she survived though, you know, which is That's amazing. Insane that she yeah. survived. Yeah, and like good on her. I'm I'm fascinated. This is this is really dumb. I'm just calling myself out ahead of time. 
there were sparks coming out of the telephone wire. Yep. Is that was, even possible? Like, I, I know, I know he's he's, yeah. he's varying on like straight up hallucinations and like really getting detached from reality. Like that is yep. the truth of what's happening here. And mm-hmm. but like, shit, I used to stick those on my tongue when I was little. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> t- telephone wires. I didn't know they could do that. Like, I didn't think that was a thing. Like, you can get well, hurt from that. They do need electricity to run phones right yeah but it's like so mild it's like less than a nine volt battery i mean maybe it it opened up i don't know i i i agree part of this is my own health concern yeah please don't go (laughs) trying to shock yourself with the telephone cords all right on july 7 richard cruised the normal neighborhoods he had hunted before he decided that monterey park would be his perfect place for tonight again he literally walked to the front of a house on the street. The home was a, the home was of Joyce Lucille Nelson. He was as normal dressed all in black and was almost impossible to see. The house was a one story in pale yellow. He tried to open the front door, but it was locked. He went to the left window next to the door and it was unlocked. He took the screen out and then placed it in the backyard so as to not rouse suspicion. Richard tried the back door, but it was locked, so he moved back to the front window. He crawled in and saw Joyce sleeping on the couch. He put the pistol to her head and woke her up. She tried to resist, so he dragged her by her hair to the bedroom. She wouldn't go willingly, so he started beating her with his fist. Getting angrier, he kept beating her. He then dragged her to the bedroom and beat her to literal death. She was beaten so much she spun around in a complete circle. Joyce had a clear imprint of an avia shoe in her face from Richard stomping on her. He then robbed the house taking radios, jewelry, and anything of value. He then proceeded to walk out the front door like nothing had happened and got back into his car and drove away. At 3 a.m. on the same night, he was still in the mood for murder and robbery. He returned to the Monterey Park and parked on Hollywood Oak Drive. He was carrying handcuffs and his 22 pistol. He chose the house of Sophie Dickman. It was a yellow one-story house, which seems to be a big thing in California. He walked to the one front window and took the screen off very quickly. However, the window was locked and could not be opened. Richard walked around to the back of the house and found a dog eagle. I know that yellow very well. It's like a pale. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. It's You've so seen California. Them. It is very California. It's very old school. Very old okay. school. Did he <laughs> crawl in through the doggy door? For the love of God, tell me he crawled in through the doggy door. Richard walked around to the back of the house and found a doggy door and reached in and unlocked the door. Damn so it. he didn't went in. He just reached in. Yeah, he just the reached up door. to the doggy door and unlocked it. Mm-hmm. Get shorter dogs. Okay. <laughs> Ew, but he also had to have like abnormally long arms. I know, right? Yeah, it was really weird the way it was described, but I was like, okay. Like, unless he like, stuck like short. his head and shoulder through it. 
Okay, that's good. a lot. I mean, if it's I'm a gonna, bigger, babe, if it's a, if it's a bigger, you should try that with bonbons no, door. See you, if you can you do can't, it. You can't small. do it on cat doors. You can't do it on small doors. <laughs> but since big dogs have like almost like uh probably like a third of the door and it's tall, you could probably reach in if it's not locked and then reach your arm up and click the lock. Yeah. Um, Another so reason that's why. to buy the Cats. new. Quasga screens. Uh. They're serial killer and cat proof screens. And like that, along with your cat doors, makes your serial killer and penetration impossible. Like it, it's not it's just glass. Quasga's got your back. Stop saying that. All <laughs> right. He used his pen light to find his way in the house. He went into Sophie's bedroom, turned on the light, and then charged her. He covered her mouth and told her to shut up or he would kill her. Richard put the handcuffs on her and a pillowcase on her head. He put her in the bathroom while he was robbing the house. He took all he could, he took all he could then handcuffed her to the bed. He then tried to rape her twice, but he couldn't get himself up. So he told her if she said anything to anyone, he would return to kill her. He then left the house with all her valuables and returned to the freeways. Damn. Monster. All in one night. <clears throat> Those two things. How does he have so much energy, too? Right? And he's not doing cocaine anymore. Yeah. yeah. Five-hour energy. This episode is brought to you by five-hour energy. Like, <laughs> wouldn't it's he the be power like, of sleeping Satan. during the day and like staying up mm. all night? Yeah, that would make mm-hmm. more sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and then, like, you know how you guys were wondering, like, okay, so he's doing all this. Um, like, like, does he does he have any hobbies? Like, yeah. is it all he does? Like, Mycology. Well, like, hobbies. he's really into finding, like, chicken hens, like, you know, like, in the woods. <laughs> And mm-hmm. like, re- he's really into oyster mushrooms this year, which like at the time, mm-hmm. super hot and trendy. Like yep. it was like three people that were like really into it. And he was just like, I'm just saying, I think like reishi, it's good for you. I know that's controversial, but like, I'm just saying, I think we need to start considering adaptogens. They balance the body, which is really important when you're recovering from cocaine addiction. You know, yeah. like he was super into it at the time. It was like Reishi. I'm pretty sure Richard Ramirez invented mud coffee. Yeah, to say that. He, this episode I, I is mean, brought to you by mud coffee. Because <laughs> he's obviously making all this money now because he's like stealing all this stuff. So it's like, okay, don't you want to enjoy the seats of your labor? Yeah. You know, like, yeah, yeah. why are you doing? Like, you're not going to beach clubs or. Just traveling, you know, like why isn't he traveling? Or getting like, teeth. You're fixing your teeth, yeah. He is, he is traveling. He's a freeway traveler. That's what he does all night. He loves the out night. of the country, I mean. Well you don't I mean, need good would... teeth if people only see you at night. True. That's why he likes the night, yeah. Well, talking about the in between, by mm-hmm. this time he was dubbed by the news media as the night stalker so he is starting to get famous um so he's probably i guess that means that he is trying to stay out of the the 
you know, the daylight time because people will, will start recognizing him. So he's probably just not trying to go out and talk to people. Mm-hmm. Um, he did not think they would connect all the crimes, but decided he needed to be much, much, much more careful instead of leaving as any other serial killer would when they are being chased by cops. He decided to stay in the L.A. area, so no travel plans for him. Even with all the people looking for him, he strolled into a downtown knife store and bought a huge machete because that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then he just got back on the freeways and headed on to Glendale, I guess the poor area. Um, Gil, this is this is what he does in his hobbies. This is his yeah, hobby. Yeah, like he just prepares hobby. for the murders. Like he's, that's what he that's thinks about. The lifestyle. <laughs> mm-hmm. Glendale was poor. I mean, I guess when I was there, it, it was poor, but maybe back in the eighties it wasn't. But um, now it is. I don't like know. When I went area. to school in Eagle Rock, that was where a lot of like richer people lived. I don't know. It changed. This seemed like the place he could finally find what he craved. He got out of the car and walked to the front of the house of Max and Leland. Oh, pronounced Nadine, thank you. <laughs> he got out of the car and walked to the front of the house of Max and Leela Nadine. The front door was locked as were the two windows. So he went around to the back of the house and also found the windows were locked. Max and Leela had locked all doors and windows because they were following the news stories and didn't want to give any invitation for someone to easily break in. Richard cut the screen out of the French door on the back of the house and then unlocked the door. Instead of going straight into the house, he went back to the car and grabbed his machete. He then prayed to Satan as the humble servant. He entered the house and then slowly moved towards the bedroom. Both were asleep in the bed together. Richard cased the house, seeing if there were more people in the house. Finding that there were no more people in the house, he walked into the bedroom. Richard turned on the light and then swung the machete down onto Max in the neck. Richard then swung at Leela and missed. Both were still alive, so he pulled out his twenty-two and pulled the trigger. The gun jammed. He quickly cleared the gun, then put it up to Max's head and shot. Max was instantly killed. He then did the same to Leela, this time shooting three times, and both were dead. He cut and poked at their bodies with the machete. After that, he started taking their possessions and was out of the door before the cops would make it into the house. Before the end of the night, he was already at the fence's house to get rid of the valuables. Wow. So think about this. He's literally going into the fence's house still covered in blood. Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't shower or do anything before he goes because like, just, he just goes. And so in the the book, they talk about the fence sitting there like, uh, I'm pretty sure this guy murdered people and this is where they're coming from. So at this time, he's he's getting, you know, the mid the night stalker is his name. So they're he's in the news, you know, and 
you know, obviously the guy that's kind of fencing stolen goods probably knows about all this stuff happening. And so mm-hmm. he's he's already starting to think, I think that this guy is the Night Stalker, but I don't want to be murdered. So I'll just keep taking this stuff in. <laughs> yeah. Awkward spot to be in. That same night, he was back on the road again, this time to Sun Valley. He stopped on the sh- he stopped on the Charbonne Street. He stopped in front of the house of Shana Wrong and some kid covenant. Richard walked in front of the house and tried the doors and windows and all were locked. Richard went to the back of the house and tried the sliding glass door. They were open. He slowly moved into the house. Some kid was sleeping on the couch in the living room. She woke up, but Richard quickly put his hand over her mouth and then put the twenty-two pistol to her head. Richard moved to the bedroom where China Rong was sleeping. He put the pistol to his head, pulled the trigger, and killed him instantly. Richard saw that some kid had hidden her ring, so he slapped her in the face. He grabbed her and dragged her to the bathroom. He cut the cord to the hair dryer and tied her hands together. After that, he dragged her back to the bedroom, then raped her right next to the dead body of her husband. He then methodically searched the house quickly and returned to her. He then tied her to a chair and raped her again. Not satisfied with the loot, he beat her and told her to tell her where the good stuff was. Then she led him to some of the valuables she had hidden. He then made her swear to Satan that she was telling the truth, so she swore to Satan. Then he dragged her back to the room and raped her again. He kept demanding more valuables so they retrieved money from the car, totaling $15. After that, he left her on the bedroom floor and walked out the door with all their valuables. With all the valuable spends from the last murders and robberies, Richard was looking at a high price on his head. <clears throat> With a high price of $80,000 reward for information leading to his arrest and a new police sketch of him that was placed in every police car in the LA area. People were starting to report random sketchy people walking around the neighborhood. There was a true panic in LA. Richard completely unaware that the fences were starting to close in on him, stole another Toyota and started driving on the freeway. I guess like, I mean, honestly, he's not being careful at all. Like, what are you doing then? No, <laughs> no. he, he, so when he, when he got in the house, so I just want to like add to that story a little bit. He, he like ran into the house and, um, you know, he saw one of them sleeping on the couch, one of them sleeping, and then he went to the room and shot that one. And so basically he just kept like hitting her over and over again. He, when he got into the house, he put his hand over her mouth when he first got there and said, if you make a sound, I'll kill you. And so obviously not wanting to be killed. So then he went into the room. She didn't make a sound, went into the room, shot the husband, came back out, and then started raping her again and demanding everything. So if you ever notice, and like it's such a... A theme for him is he literally just continuously and continuously and continuously over and over again keeps asking for more valuables. 
you know? Yeah. And yeah. even when they don't have more, he's like, no, find more, you know? And, like, they went out to the car, and he got, like, $15. Yeah. Like, Jesus. I don't know. What was the minimum wage at this time? Probably, like, two, three fifty. So, I mean, yeah. you know, he's putting so yeah. much more work into it than he's getting out of it of the minimum wage at that house, at least. Yeah. Yeah, he's doing it all wrong. He's honestly being an idiot. Yep. That's what happens when you think Satan makes you invisible. I know, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, like <laughs> I used to think Satan made me invisible. I've grown up. I'm, I'm grown past that. <laughs> now I know it's Cthulhu. So. Mm-hmm. Cthulhu makes you invisible. Mm-hmm. Look into it. Okay. Google it. <laughs> On August 6, 1985, he cruised the streets of Northridge and parked on the street. He was scoping out the neighborhood, and after half a block, he stopped in front of the home of Chris and Virginia Peterson and their five-year-old daughter. The house was a modest house with three windows on the right of the door. Richard walked up to the front of the house tried the door it was locked he then tried the windows they were also locked quietly he moved into the backyard seeing sliding glass doors these were of course open before he moved inside he prayed to satan silently and then crept into the house both chris and virginia were both asleep in the bedroom before entering the room richard cocked the gun virginia heard this and woke up. Richard moved into the room holding the gun out with both hands. Virginia asked, what do you want? Get out. Richard then shot her in the face under the left eye, just to the left of her nose. Virginia then exclaimed to Chris, he shot me with a stunt gun. Sorry, but the gun is that shitty. It's a 22. Yeah. I want to point that out. Somebody who was literally just shot was like, I wasn't shot, shot with a face. bullet. I w- yeah, they were just shot mm-hmm. in the face, and they were like, ah, it's a stun gun. That's mm-hmm. why I've been complaining this whole time. Is like, that's how dumb this is. Sorry. Yeah, but ahead. he did kill yep. a lot of people with it. He did yeah. with, like, eight shots. Like, mm-hmm. No, a I'm couple were, like, single shots, like, right to the temple. Yeah. What's yeah, a stun you, gun? Like, taser guns? You. Yeah, it's, they shock you. Like a... Chris woke up and looked at his wife, then yelled, Oh my god, your face is gone. <laughs> like, who says that? Like, if I know, but she got like, shot on the face, I wouldn't be like, Oh my god, your face is gone. Like, why would you? You might, say that? because he didn't expect it. She said she got shot with a stun gun, so he turns around and he looks at her, and she's sitting up looking at him, and he's like, What the fuck? Yep, <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. Uh... And, like, complete and utter shock, you know? Yeah. Because they just woke up, so, like, I don't know. I would say your face is gone. (laughs) Yeah, that is, like, incredibly articulate for the situation. I probably them out of bed. Yeah. Ah! What the fuck, Selena? Demon! (laughs) God damn it. I'm never allowed to be serial killed next to you. I'm Mm -hmm. just kidding. I would beat them up. Just then, Richard shot Chris in the right temple, knocking him back onto the bed. Richard started laughing like a crazy person and tried to shoot Virginia again. He missed. Chris leapt back up and started attacking Richard, trying to protect his family. Richard shot two more times and missed both times. Now his trusty twenty-two was empty. 
They grappled for a few minutes, but Richard tossed Chris over his back and ran out of the house. As Richard got back to his car, he thought of loading the gun back in again and going to kill both of them. But because he thought the police would surely be coming, he sped off and back onto the freeway. After he was gone, Chris made a quick decision to put his family in his truck and go to the hospital. Uh. After he was gone, Chris made a quick decision to put his family in his truck and go to the hospital. They were treated and both survived. Wow. Yep. Wow. This dude is a hero. What a too. mess. Yeah, mm-hmm. he this dude uh, they they described him as like, I mean, he was like a kind of a football playerish kind of body type. So they were both decently young, so this is kind of like the opposite of what he normally would go for. Um, mm-hmm. and I guess I don't know what, how he, you know, like we're talking about, like he's a, he, he's not great. He's really great at scoping random things out, but then misses that one detail. Like you're saying, Gil, it's yeah. true. He like misses that one detail. And so like he shot her, it went through her, um, roof of her mouth and down her throat and then out the back. Jesus. Of her neck. So like oh it missed God. her brain completely. Fucking- Hell, dude. So she was like the is so lucky, and then she shot yeah. him in the te- he shot uh, the husband in the temple, yeah. And he but it bounced off his skull because yeah. it's a goddamn it, twenty two. It's a twenty two, and the ammunition was old, and the gunpowder had lost most of its potency because he bought it so long ago and never replaced that stuff. He just thought, yeah. oh, I bought it and I can just use it. So he's been using yeah. the same stuff for so long that it's starting to lose its potency. And so he's like, damn, I can't kill anybody anymore. So yeah, they, they called 911. And then instead the uh, Chris was just like, well, we might bleed out. So we should probably go like we need to yeah. go. So he just was like, screw it. I'm, so we're let gonna me drive. drive casually to the hospital <laughs> after he got <laughs> shot in the head, recognizing every red light and all safety procedures on the street. Oh, pedestrian. It's there right away. Let them cross the street. We only got 13 miles left of the hospital. We're He's good. like tip, tipping his cat cap and the blood's like shooting out a little bit and then puts it back <laughs> and on. And to you, sir. My, <laughs> my uncle um, had a heart attack and drove himself to the hospital. Whoa. Dang. Yeah. Because you gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah. Heart Just attacks are really the Richard Ramirez of bodily problems. Mm. How so? I don't know. So, okay. I thought you had something there. Nothing at all. Let's keep going. On August 8th, 1985, Richard pulled into Diamond Bar, which was about 40 minutes away from LA. He figured that being this far from LA, people would not be thinking the Night Stalker would be making a visit. Cruising to a stop, on a small quiet lane, he made sure that he wasn't seen and snuck into the shadows of the street. He walked up to Elias and Sakina Abowat's house. Instead of trying the front door first, he slipped around to the backyard. It was a modest suburban house, built like the normal sets of houses you see outside of a city. Richard found the back sliding glass door open, as normal. He stopped and listened to make sure everything was silent. After he thought it was safe, 
he started moving on into the house. He came to the bedroom of the three-year-old first and then moved on into Sakina and Elia's room. Looking at them, he decided he needed to move the car closer to the house to make a quicker getaway. So he crept back outside and moved the car right into the driveway, then moved back into the house through the back sliding door again. Standing beside their bed, he put the twenty-five right next to Elias' head just above the left ear and fired. Elias was dead instantly. He then jumped over top of Elias' body and on top of Sakina, straddling her. He struck her a few times in the face and stomach, then flipped her over and handcuffed her. He then struck her again and went to the closet, grabbed a t-shirt and blindfolded her then stuffed part of the t-shirt down her throat, almost choking her. She bit down on the t-shirt so it wouldn't go down further, and then he struck her again in the face. He tied her legs up with another t-shirt, then struck her four more times in the head, almost knocking her out. Richard stood over her, then kicked her hard enough to knock her off the bed onto the floor. After ransacking some of the house, he moved back to Sakina, asking her where the jewelry was. He struck her. She tried to describe where the jewelry was, but couldn't find them. He kept kicking and hitting her until he could find the jewelry. Feeling like there was more inside the house, he made her swear to Satan that she was telling the truth. Grabbing her by the hair, he dragged her into an empty bedroom he then proceeded to rape and sodomize her. Sakina and Elia's baby in the other room started crying, so Richard made Sakina get up and go into the other room with Richard behind her to settle the baby down. She had her hands tied behind her back, so all she could do was put her head up next to the baby until it quieted down. Then Richard dragged her by the hair again back into the empty bedroom. Kicking her, slapping her, and punching her, he then raped and sodomized her again. He even drank the milk from her breast. Mm -hmm. At that moment, the three-year-old walked into the room and said, Daddy's not waking up. Richard grabbed the child, put him on the bed, and tied him up. Oof. He put mm -hmm. a pillow over the kid's face to stop the noise. He then continued to rape her. After he was finished, he let Sakina go to the baby and walk to the kitchen and grab a honeydew melon and ate it. Returning to the room, he, continu he continually demanded Sakina to give her more valuables and money. Sakina kept repeating that he had taken all of it. At this time, Sakina still thought that Elias was still alive. As Richard said, I only knocked him out. Richard took her out to the garage to search the car trunk. There was nothing more value, so he dragged her back inside and raped her again in the room where Elias lay dead. After he finished, she implored him not to kill Elias. Richard replied, He's alright, I just punched him. And for the first time, Richard had a pang of guilt but it was short-lived. Grabbing all of their valuables, he walked out of the front door and hopped into the car and drove away. 
This one's heavy. He yeah. did a lot in this one. So while he was actually like going through the house looking for stuff, uh, at the beginning, like he was he was kicking stuff, trying to find the valuables. She kept saying like it's in the ki- it's in the suitcase, and he's like he looked through the suitcase and be like it's not in here, and then punch her, and then she was like no, it's literally in the suitcase. You're just not looking in the right place. I mean, obviously she was like terrified at this point because and then like bleeding, and so he was just beating her and then finally he found the stuff that was in the suitcase and then he kept obviously like his what he does he just keeps asking like is there more is there more there's got to be more here there's got to be more here and then gets from taking command of people like we talked about in the last episode he gets sexually charged and then he he starts raping people because he feels like he's in control and usually that's how the people live though is that he Mm -hmm. does that um so while he was tossing the house going back to it while he was tossing the house and looking for everything he got a really funny feeling and so he walked to the window of the house looked out the front door and so you know his he parked in the driveway right on this one so this is like a he's getting s- stupider you know the the more he does it yeah. he looks out the window and sees a police car driving down the street so he thinks they probably heard the gunshots and are like looking. So he's just sitting there watching. He's just watching, watching, drives down the block, all the way back up the block, and leaves. And he just, then he, he waits for five minutes and is like, all right, t- time to go back to what I was doing. And uh, he just. He he becomes more brazen. Like he's just getting more brazen, obviously. And yeah, you know, parking in their in their driveway is pretty. Like yeah, yeah, yeah it's pretty bold. Yeah, and uh, he thought be- he parked in the driveway because he was thinking that would seem less suspicious than if he parked on the street. Yeah, you know, he had like that. What is it? The uh, opposite. You know, he was thinking the opposite of what probably was actually true. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, he just, yeah. It was, that's, a, it, I mean, they're all pretty rough, but I think that that one's a pretty rough one. A lot, some of these stories are described in a little more detail than the other ones. Some of them are, you know, he ran in, ran out, and stuff like that. So, like, this one was a very, like, poignant one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Richard, feeling like he was getting close to being caught, stayed away from the downtown area for a while. He was ready for more. Richard stole a 1976 orange Toyota station wagon. He drove to Mission Viejo, which was about 76 miles south of L.A. Pulling into the town at around 2 a.m., he drove down the street with his lights off. He then parked and jumped out of the car, carrying only his 25 automatic. He kept to the shadows at a leisurely pace. That night of August 24, 1985, Richard Ramirez crept up to the Bill Carnes and his fiance Carol Smith's house. The house was a beige, one-story house with two large bay windows in the front. Richard walked up to the front of the house and tried the front door and the front windows, but they were all locked. Moving quietly, he crept around to the back of the house and removed a screen from a window. Slipping into the window, he stopped and got used to the darkness. 
Richard turned on his pen light and moved around the house. Getting closer to the bedroom, he cocked the twenty-five. Bill and Carol were both asleep in bed, but hearing the cock of the gun, Bill woke up. Seeing the flashlight, he jumped out of the bed. Before he could get out of the bed fully, Richard shot Bill in the head. He then moved closer and shot Bill two more times in the head. Seeing the sheets move, he pulled them back and saw Carol hiding underneath the blanket, like this was a movie, and Richard was delivering a corny line as the villain. Richard said, Do you know who I am? I'm the Night Stalker. Okay, he, bud. He's, get he's, out of here. He's getting into the persona. He's yeah, so, yeah, yeah. He's so dumb. Like, <laughs> like dumb. What the fuck? Oh, hi, guys. I'm the Night Stalker. Oh, <laughs> At least Slipko yeah. felt bad about what he was doing. Like, this dude yeah, he has this, like, no method feeling. acting into the fucking role. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I believe in the last one, he felt a ping of guilt. That's just true. a ping. A ping. Just, just a ping a of guilt. Just a small, tiny bit. Ping. A small pinge. And then like, he asked himself, pinge? do you know who I am? I'm the Night Stalker. That's right. I'm and he's the you Night know, talking Stalker. in the mirror. He's talking in the mirror. I do believe he practices this in the mirror while he's like, before he goes, yeah, in. that's yeah, what yeah, he does. Yeah. You know, in the one he hour he's awake during daylight. <laughs> Pretty sure yes. like, that he delivers his not- rent check. pretty sure when he got his machete he was just swinging it around in front of a mirror for like five hours yeah 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 Yeah, he didn't get a lot of sleep that day but he's like so stupid swinging it around (gasps) being like (gasps) (gasps) almost chopped off my dick oh god (laughs) and then do a jab and another jab carol screamed oh god no then richard said don't say God, say you love Satan. She repeated after him, and then he punched her and made her say it louder. Throwing her down on the floor, he hog-tied her with ties he found from Bill's closet. He threatened her, kicked her, and slapped her, trying to get her to tell him where the valuables were. He ransacked the room like he was a master thief. Then he dragged her to another room, raped and sodomized her after he had finished he kissed her very tenderly he then kept demanding for her to show him where the jewelry and cash was she took him to the extra cash they had around and he quickly took it then he took her back to the bedroom and tied her back up richer again like the comic book villain he was told her tell them the night stalker was here he then exited the house through the front door and was gone into the night. Bill and Carol were taken to the hospital that same night and both survived. Oh, At this wow. time, he had killed 14 people but was only convicted of 13. Richard had raped and assaulted 12 others. Richard Ramirez committed the first of his convicted murders on June 28, 1984 and the last of his murders and assaults on August 24, 1985. In the span of a year and about a month, he committed all of these atrocious crimes. Most of them were committed with two months of each other when he went in an almost rampage mode. 
Richard Ramirez was cruising down the highway and was about to be cruising into young ladies' hearts behind bars. What? We will wrap. <laughs> we will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We will wrap up our four-part series on Richard Ramirez next week with the hunt and the capture of Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. Tell them I was here. God. Yeah. (laughs) Wait, I shouldn't applaud. I shouldn't applaud. I was applauding applauding the writing. writing. Yes, yes, I was applauding the writing. He's like, you remember in the first murder? You know, like no. let's look at the evolution of yeah, it was a long time <laughs> the ago. Evolution. Right? The evolution like of ago. Richard Ramirez. He was he was shooting up his water and cocaine mixture, super good nervous. Times. You know, like yeah, good. Yeah. Th- those were the early days. You know, the young yeah. days of his murders. <laughs> super nervous, like barely opening the windows. You know, oh like, yeah, oh like this young, you know, up and comer serial killer. And at the end yeah. of this, he's going into a house, going like, "I'm the Night Stalker." You know, he like, like comes yeah. in with sunglasses, smoking a cigarette, puts it out yeah. on the floor. He's like, "Hey, know who I am?" Know who I am? Huh. Yeah, Night that's Stalker. me. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> Night he became, he be- yeah. I want to say <laughs> yeah. like, as a serial killer, like he became like they like they do. He became the like caricature of himself. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and like kind of just leaned into it, even though he was like stupid. <laughs> You know, like his his stupid. <laughs> like honestly, I just think he's so dumb. Like obviously, he's so dumb, and like even to do these do this to people is is terrible and awful. But he's just freaking dumb. Like he's yeah. like yeah. parking in houses. He's getting brazen with everything he's doing. He's just like whatever. Oh, cool. Now I'll let everybody know that this is a serious that I'm a serial killer. You know, instead yeah, of like in connected. the beginning. Yeah, in the beginning yeah. he was like, crap. I need to change my. I need to change how I do things because I yeah. don't want people to like connect me to these crimes. And at the end, there's... I guess he just is like, whatever. Yeah, there's yeah, like I wonder blue where he's auras. Getting... Mm-hmm. I wonder where he's getting this ego from. Like, you know, he, he's the all media. confident. And... Oh, the media, 100%. Right. He's seeing himself. He's seeing these stories in the newspaper. That's he's right. seeing the he's seeing the like the detectives that are following the cases. So he's like, oh, uh, he did see that the one detective, uh, I think, uh, the one detective from the last serial killer, uh, is following his case, and he fi- he found that out, and so he was like, "Oh, like me?" Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And he also heard about like what a grip he had on like Los Angeles and like mm-hmm. everywhere else that he's been. And um, he's getting all the attention. That just makes him feel powerful. He's like, everybody's afraid of me. I can do yep. whatever yeah. I want. And like, as we know, the cops don't find me. Like they mm-hmm. always end up driving away. Yeah, look Which, how crazy. In all fairness, that is. was true at the time. No, they. Yeah. Li- he literally would just look at them. Goodbye. And like the other story we told, like a cop mm-hmm. pulled him over. And you're not that guy that's out you're killing not that people, guy, right? are you? And he's like, nah, nah. That's when are you going to catch that guy anyway? That's yeah, what he yeah. told him. That's so smooth. Yeah. It's like, I mean, honestly, like those days were his like smooth days, you know? Yeah, yeah. then he like gets out of the car, draws a pentagram on it, and he's like, hee, 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 it runs away. Yeah, and then left, yeah. <laughs> and the cop's yeah, like, Yeah, like huh. he just like, the cop was like, huh, <laughs> I guess I should go after him. I think he like followed him for a little bit, but then like he jumped the fence. Like literally, he like jumped Damn one it. fence. You know, we the cop jumped like, oh, fences. Geez. Well, I guess he's gone. 
Fuck, he's good. <laughs> I'll never find him again. <laughs> yeah. Hope he doesn't and, uh, kill anyone. Ho- yeah, I hope he. Wa- I hope he wasn't that killer. And so that that also the car that was in that story, which we can talk about later. That car was impounded in an impound lot, and nobody knew about that car. The detectives weren't told about it. The police didn't kind of circulate it because also at that time they still weren't circulating information yeah. Of, yeah. of like of people. So like the detectives that are looking into this found that out afterwards, and that's how they found out that he went to that uh, dentist office. Yeah, remember because they, they found the in the bl- car. Mm-hmm. They were under the belief at the time that serial killers only operated within very specific, civically designated neighborhoods. Yep. And there was yep. no possible way crimes could spread outside of nope. a civically designated border. It, nope. It's, it's impossible. It's impossible. How yep. could that even happen? Yep. So it was like, if they're not in Glendale, boom. If they're not in Eagle Rock, boom. Yep. Like, it's impossible. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Well, to be fair, they didn't have computers. You yeah. Know? So like it wasn't you couldn't like input that into a database. You know, you couldn't just input it in a database and then like they're like, oh, murders with Avia shoes, you know, and then like yeah. a <laughs> database would come up with like, oh, he's been all these people died or like he had footprints at these places with Avia shoes on. And there's like only a certain amount of people in L.A. that have Avia shoes. So. But honestly, that like to me that gives less of an like uh, an excuse mm-hmm. because that means at the time they were actually like sitting over coffee and talking. True. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like yeah. it was like more casual because like the back end of a computer, spoiler alert, is basically a fucking spreadsheet. Like when you really get down to databases and shit, yeah. it's a massive spreadsheet, yeah. and like. So, yeah, they weren't entering entering in this information that was based off of all these obscure questions and stuff at the time, these new trending ideas. But they yeah. were having casual conversations at a diner that happens to be, like, in between both neighborhoods. Yeah. And, like, it, it kind of gives less credit because, like, the borders were less defined because shit wasn't perfectly outlined in a formula, mm-hmm. in a form that they filled out. Yeah. on the report at the end of the day. So, I don't know. I give them less they credit. They had floppy disks. True, they, they did, did have, have them floppy And... Was that Den- was, how um, Dennis Rader was caught? Dennis Rader? Yeah. The yeah. idiot, yeah. He was what like, is... he literally asked them, like, can, um, if I were to send you guys a floppy disk, would that, would you, would you guys catch me? They're like, no. You yeah. goof. Then they traced send it, it over. That, they traced it to the <laughs> church he like, did it in. Okay. Yeah, he's like, okay. Yeah, you guys would tell me, right? Because you're police, you have to tell me the truth. (laughs) All this year of killers just literally have like daddy issues because they didn't get enough attention when they were kids. Truth. Yeah, because that's all they want. They just want attention. They're feeding from all the attention they're getting from the media, and the more attention they get, the more. Like, remember the? I don't know. Did you guys watch Catch Me If You Can? No. Mm -hmm. Damn. Well, do you... What about you, Joey? Yeah. Well, do you remember this scene where he he starts calling the cop? Yeah, the, to, to, the like guy. Ch- to be like, chase me, you know? Yeah, because, mm-hmm. like, you know, obviously, chase like, no, he has no friends, too. Serial killers have no friends, basically. So he, he calls this guy who is played by Tom Hanks, 
And then he's calling him for, I think it was Christmas or something. And he's just kind of like messing with him. And mm -hmm. he's like, you're calling me because you, you don't have anyone else to call. And then that like hits him, you know, right yeah. in the feels. Yeah. Because he's lonely and that and you know, like that's why they love the attention because they're lonely and no one really cares about them besides the media and the cops. Thank you for listening to the Black Cat Report in our third episode of a four-part series on Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. Tune in next week when we cap off the series. Please like, review, and follow us wherever you get your podcasts, as well as on Instagram. There, you can get all the newest updates coming from The Report. And remember, we'll see you on the other side.